Amen. Thank you, orchestra. Pray for our orchestra. We have our second half of our recording. Choir's done their part. Orchestra's getting ready for theirs in mid-July, so you be in prayer for them. And I know they're going to do an excellent job, and we're looking forward to the release of our choir orchestra CD, which will be part of our 20th anniversary next year. Let's stand, please, if you would. Go to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 4 and Joshua chapter 5. Again, welcome to all of our guests and visitors this morning, returning visitors. We're delighted you're here today, and we're in the midst of vacation time. We have quite a few families out on vacation today. Please let me know if you're out. You're going to be out traveling there so we can put you on our prayer list and pray for you while you're out. And if you need a church to find when you're in that particular area, let us know this. We can help find a great Bible-preaching church for you in that specific area that you're going to there. Uh, Joshua chapter 4, look around you if your neighbor doesn't have a Bible. Please share your Bible with them so they know exactly where they're at. And we're going to be mainly in Joshua 4 and 5. On the way in, if you received a bulletin, we have a handout with that that has our notes. And you may want to follow that for some of the scriptures we're going to be reading this morning just for the sake of time. Be here tonight for the Sunday night service. We always have a good crowd on Sunday nights. And I want to encourage you to uh, step out and grow this summer. Grow your faith. Grow in your walk with the Lord. Uh, take some steps of obedience and get built up. I'm looking forward to tonight's passage. We're going to be primarily in Psalms chapter 61, but we're going to be using Psalm 61 as a springboard for understanding 2 Samuel 15 through 18. And if you've ever wanted to get an understanding of the Psalms and just what God can do in your life, come tonight. The title of tonight's message is Broken but Blessed. And it will help us understand when we go through some deep crises in our lives, how we can find the blessings of the Lord in the midst of all that. And that will encourage your heart, especially if you're going through a trial or difficulty right now. You ought to be there tonight and let the Lord work through your heart. Joshua 4, can you give me an amen that you're there? Amen. That sounds pretty good this morning. Verse 19, Joshua 4, verse 19. And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and encamped in Gilgal. Underline or circle the word Gilgal. We're going to be looking at Gilgal today. And if you'll catch what I'm going to tell you this morning about Gilgal, you'll understand every other place thereafter in the Old Testament how Gilgal is very significant. The Bible says, The people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch... In Gilgal. Now they've gone from, from being on the east side, they're now on the west side of Jordan, they're in the, a little area called Gilgal. Now go over to chapter 5 with me. Notice verse 9, and we'll read down to verse 11. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you, wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal, and circle the word Gilgal again today, called Gilgal unto this day. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover on leaven cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. I want to preach a message this morning, sir, kind of just on the, on the thought of Gilgal today because it is very significant in the Christian life. And it might be today, this might be your Gilgal day. But I'm going to preach a message entitled Operation Gilgal. Now, Father, this morning, we we could just tell you today we love you 
and we're so thankful for all that our ears have heard and our eyes have seen. Thank you for Sister Ortega and Brother Dewey for their baptisms. Thank you this week for many salvation decisions. Thank you this week for folks who've been invited to church and here today. Thank you this morning for our members who are here. Thank you today for Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. And that, Lord, you're Almighty God and you're the Everlasting Father. And we thank you this morning that, God, you love us. And, uh, Lord, you have something special for us. And that this is the day that you've made, a day in which you're to be glorified and we are to rejoice. In you, But it's also a day, Lord, where you want to do a great work in our hearts. And today we pray that the Holy Spirit, who is our comforter and who is our teacher, the one who comes alongside of us, our best friend, that, Lord, he will help us to understand your word and that he will help us to feel a sense in our heart, a moment of decision, that he will help us today to be greater and better Christians, that he will help us today to see, Lord, decisions we must make that will honor you. Today, we know that, Lord, you love this congregation. You want to do something great in our hearts. And we're just praying, asking today that you'll do that now. Bless this time. We pray it will be a very memorable moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Those of you who are returning um, uh, attendees here at the church and those of you new to the church, we've been in a series for the last few weeks here from the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua, the theme is entitled Victory in Jesus Christ. And I hope you don't miss any of the services because every message in Joshua is centered on how you and I can be victorious through Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that the moment we get saved in 1 John 5, 4, that this is the victory that overcometh the world, even your faith. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so as we look at this matter of the Christian life and we look at the victorious Christian life God wants us to have, the book of Joshua helps us to understand those incremental and important steps we must make. Now, for the last two times we were in the book of Joshua, we looked at the incredible miracle of the crossing of the Jordan River. Notice chapter 5, verse 1, and it says, And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their hearts melted, neither was their spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. Now, the great miracle we saw in chapter 4 was God opening up the waters of Jordan and enabling the children of Israel to cross over it. Many of you remember, if you were here, that the timing of this, humanly speaking, couldn't have been a worse time as far as, humanly speaking, crossing that river. It was the time of harvest. It was a time when the snow was melting off the mountains, off the mountains there. And as the water was running down, it was, it was might make its way down into the Jordan River. And of course, wherever you see snow melt, the, the water started to overflow. And they say that the waters of Jordan, from a width standpoint, on, on just without the normal floods and so forth of the snow melt, normally the width from one side to the other would be about 90 feet. In, in, in distance, but they said during that time, during the snow melt, that there were portions of the Jordan River where the width was as much as one mile wide, which is a lot, a lot of water. So there's an incredible amount of water going. And if you've ever seen any pictures of the snow melt, the Jordan River, when it's when when the snow is melting, the water, the rapids are very high. Those of you who are, 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 are rap, who, who do the rapids, the waters here, like American River and places like that, know that there's different levels that they they, they classify the rapids. And if my memory serves right, I think number five is the highest, and uh, that would be considered 
a five or higher because the Jordan River would be running and racing very, very, very fast. And it would be very treacherous and dangerous to try to make your way across those waters. And amazingly, the Bible tells us that God brought the children of Israel to the Jordan River. They stayed there. They camped there for a couple nights. And then the day came that God told Joshua to get up. He got up early in the morning. He started to get the people ready. He told the priests to get ready to hold the... Um, the Ark of the Covenant, which was a picture or symbol of the presence of the Lord. And as they were there, they uh, they stood there and he said, as soon as the feet of the priest touch the water, you'll see what God's going to do. And amazingly, they were they're probably in a, most of the minds of the people there were two and a half to three million people there. They're kind of wondering, what are we going to do and how are we going to get across this? There's no way, humanly speaking, we can cross this and children won't be able to make it. And those who are infirmed and sick and elderly may not be able to make it. And as soon as those priests holding that Ark of the Covenant put their feet into the water, as soon as they touched it, the water started to recede and go, 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 go in two different directions, uh, one north, one south. Northwards, the waters receded 15 miles northward, and the Bible says it were like a big heap or like a big wall. And then southward, going towards the, the, towards the Dead Sea, they went, they receded about 10 miles south one way, so about for 25 miles or so, 15 miles one way, 10 miles the other, the waters receded and went up like a big heap. And the Bible describes it here in Joshua 5, 1, that the Lord had dried up the waters. And the lesson we learned in all of that, as the Lord dried up the waters, and all the children of Israel crossed over, is that as we consider the victorious Christian life, the very the very first thing God wants us to learn and to capture in our hearts is that we need the Lord. Amen? We need God. And we have to recognize in our hearts that we need the Lord. The Christian life is not all about what I can do for God, but it's for us to realize how much we need the Lord. Because the Bible tells us that without Him, we can do nothing. And they needed to see the miraculous power of God at work in their lives, recognizing victory in the Christian life is because God is at work for you, not necessarily because you are at work for God. The second thing we see is that they took these rocks, and they put those rocks there, and they, the rocks that they put there, they took out of the Jordan... And took it the other side. Those rocks were there, 12 rocks they put there. They were established as a testimony, a memorial that they never forget that it was God who brought them over there. Now, when people get saved, uh, we, we like to do some. I have a book that we wrote entitled The Right Start. And I like to write inside there for people. And we try to encourage our soul winners to do that. To write on there on that day that this, this person accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I have them sign their name under it that they recognize by faith. They trusted Christ. And I sign my name under it. Or the soul winner signs their name on it. And we do that kind of as a memorial that they remember that day they trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And those, those 12 stones were a memorial to remind them when their children would ask, what did these stones mean? It would be a reminder to them that they never, never forget that God was the one who helped them. You know, we're, we're going to slowly, as we get into this new building, we're going to be taking different portions of the church on a tour. I'm going to take some of you on a, all of you on a tour in different groups and walk through the building and kind of tell you about the rooms and tell you about the hallways and what God's going to do there. And we're going to walk through the older part of the building and then the newer part of the building and I just want you to understand that we want to look at these these different these different places of the, of the church property and never forget as we look at different memorials it was God who gave us this property and it's God who raised up the money and it's God who's blessed this church and it's God working this this church is not because of human ingeniousness and it's not because of human wisdom this church is not here just because of hard work this church is here because God put this church here and so and we recognize that this morning we must realize that the crossing of the Jordan is a reminder that God is the one who gets us across. Now, there's a second lesson. 
And the second lesson brings us to chapter 5 of Joshua. And the second lesson brings us to this location called Gilgal. Because the stopping point before they were to get to the city of Jericho. Because when we get to Jericho, we're going to see a number of cities that they had to conquer and take over along the way to claim their inheritance. Before they could get to Jericho, their first had to be the crossing of the Jordan. But their secondly had to be what God wanted them to do at the city or the location of Gilgal. Now, Gilgal is important. Every Christian here today, every believer here today, you must have a Gilgal. You're going to have to come to a Gilgal moment. You're going to have what is called here the Operation Gilgal, something significant that must happen in your life there. Notice here the Bible says that the people encamped at Gilgal, chapter 4, verse 19. Gilgal is where they stayed until it was time to move forward. Gilgal was a prominent place for the conquest of uh, at, that they went to after the conquest of Jordan. Gilgal would serve through the book of Joshua as the place of the base of their operation. They would, they would come back to Gilgal over and over again during their time of conquest because that's where the place was the base of operation and was also the place where lines of communication had to be very clear. The lines of communication from God to Joshua, Joshua to the people. So Gilgal was a very important place. Gilgal was a place that would be later on a strategic location for the Jews. We've been going through a series on Wednesday nights on kings and prophets. And several weeks ago, we uh, we started a series on looking at the life of Elisha. And I think I probably have one or two more messages on Elisha. But we saw when Elisha, there was a critical point in his life in 2 Kings 2, where he and Elijah came to Gilgal. And uh, Gilgal was a very important place to him there. And we'll see that in another place in the scripture. But Gilgal is important in the scripture. And Gilgal is a spiritual picture of a place important in your life and my life this morning. So this morning, I want you to join me as we look at the subject of Operation Gilgal. Notice three things very quickly this morning. Number one, would you notice in verse one, we see a conquered enemy. In verse one, we see a conquered enemy. May I read that passage to you again? It says, and it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their hearts melted. Neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. I want you to imagine with me, I want you to just put on your thinking cap and your imagination cap with me. Can you imagine a procession of three, two and a half to three million people going through a desert. There's no way, if there's two and a half, three million people, there's no way that the people of the land could not know this was not happening. They would see this huge throng of people traveling through that desert area. And can you imagine with me on the day that they crossed the Jordan River that those were the days when the water was coming down from the mountains and because of the snow melt and seeing these two heaps northward and southward, 15 miles up north, 10 miles down south, these, these, this huge heap of water going up. Can you imagine people in the city of Jericho standing on the top of the, of, of their, of those walls there looking and seeing this great thing and people alongside there looking and watching as they watch the children of Israel come across here. And the Bible tells us something very significant in verse 1 here. It says that the kings of the Amorites... Now, when you read the term the kings of the Amorites, in many, many cases, it's all-inclusive of talking about all the people of the Canaan, the Canaan nations on that side. Israel had gone from east to west. Going west would take them towards the Mediterranean Sea. So they're crossing the Jordan River. As they cross and get over on the west side... The, the Bible tells us all the kings of the Amorites, and we see they're mentioning in the book of Joshua, all the kings, all the civilizations, all the cities, all the kings of the Amorites, they heard about this. Some saw it, 
but many of them heard about it, the Bible says. And then we read about the kings of the Canaanites, which were nearest to the sea. And I believe as we refer to those kings of the Canaanites, I believe that could have included the Philistines, because the Philistines were a coastal people. They inhabited cities like Gath and so forth like that. They're on the coastline. So all the way from the, t- from the point of the Jordan River, all the way to the, to the, to the, to the Mediterranean Sea, all these kings of the, of the Amorites and all these kings of the Canaanites had heard what the Lord had done. And notice in verse 1 it says, What they heard and what was told them, what people saw, was that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan. Now that's significant because what they heard was not that the children of Israel first had crossed over. What they heard was the Lord had dried up the waters. Because these were pagan nations. These were nations that worshipped other gods. And they were listening and they're thinking, Well, our, our God never did anything like that for us. And they're thinking about how did this happen? And we, nobody's ever seen the Jordan River during high tide. They're just part its ways like that. And the Bible tells us specifically that they heard that the Lord had dried up the waters. And it says, and it stayed dried until they were all passed over. And as we read that, it says that when that happened, it says the hearts of every one of them melted. And the word melted is kind of an interesting word. It means literally that the spirit inside of them dissolved. Then inside of them, their morale shrunk. Inside of them, they instead of being very brave and being very courageous, they felt fear and intimidation. And the Bible goes on by telling us in verse 1 that their hearts melted, neither was their spirit in them anymore. They were conquering nations, and they were mighty nations, and they were fearful nations, and they were nations that had great walled cities and great defense systems. During that time, that was the age of the Bronze Age. Iron had not been invented, and these these people that time had, uh, or had not been mined and perfected, and, uh, and, and, and the bronze, brass was what they used those days. Those people were fearful and scared because they saw Israel as a nation that was kind of just a loose-knit group of people that made their way across. But what scared them wasn't the fact that two and a half to three million people crossed there. What scared them was the two and a half to three million people that crossed over, they had a God in heaven who loved them and a God in heaven who was all-powerful and a God in heaven who opened up those waters and made it happen so they could go across and that the Lord had dried up the waters and dried up the riverbed so they could make their way across. And as they looked at that, all verse 1 is telling us this morning is that those kings of the Amorites and those kings of the Canaanites recognized that they were people that were, in, that were intimidated and small and insignificant in terms of God. And they realized that a prophecy was being fulfilled that God gave to Abraham back in Genesis 15, verse 16, when he said that the iniquity of the Amorites would be full. At that moment of time, they recognized something. They recognized as Israel got across that side of the Jordan, and now we're on the west side, and now we're camped to Gilgal, and 12 stones have been placed there. They recognized that Israel was standing there confident, not in themselves, but confident in a God in heaven who said, you're going to get across, sir, because I'm going to help you get across. And as you get across, I want you to know one thing. You have a conquered foe. You have a conquered enemy. Brother and sister in Christ, the moment you and I got saved, when the moment Jesus Christ came into your heart as Savior, listen, you got on the winning side. You got victory in Jesus Christ. You became somebody who was a winner, no longer a loser. You were passed from death to life. You went from darkness to life. You went from death to life. Brother and sister in Christ, I want you to be encouraged this morning. You have a conquered enemy. You are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ this morning. What a wonderful thing to know this morning that we have a conquered enemy. Satan's a defeated foe. Listen to the scriptures this morning as I read them. If you have your notes, please turn to your notes in the handout this morning just to save some time. John 16, verse 33, Jesus said this, These things have I spoken unto you. Then in me you might have peace. Listen, you're not going to find your peace in popping pills. 
You're not going to find your peace in going to the cannabis shop around the corner and buying some cannabis, amen? You're not going to find your peace and take it and try to find your peace in transcendental meditation. And you're not going to find your peace in this world. Listen, there are two celebrities that thought they could find their peace in money, materialism, and relation things. And both of their own testimony, their lives were an empty shell. I remind this morning, peace is found in God's Son, Jesus Christ, today. And Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. He said, in the world you shall have tribulation. Mark that down. You're chasing the world. You're chasing to go up the corporate ladder and to accumulate all your wealth. And there's part of that we need to do. But let me tell you this morning, in the world, when you get to the bottom line, in the world, you're going to have trouble. The world's going to give you trouble. You're going to find that it's not all cut out what you thought it would be. When Jesus said, in the world, you shall have tribulation. But notice what he said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Romans 6, verses 17 and 18. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. That's before you got saved. But you have obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Listen, before you and I got saved, we were the servants of sin. But praise God, God set us free just like He did with Egypt. As He did with Israel when He brought them out of Egypt. In fact, in Joshua 5, 9, He says, I've rolled the reproach of Egypt away from you. Listen, you're no longer the servants of sin. The Bible says in Romans 6, 6, 18, we are free from sin and free from the law. Thank God this morning morning you have victory in jesus christ romans 16 20 you might claim this if you're having trouble with the devil or the devil's giving you trouble today and the god of peace shall bruise satan under your feet shortly the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you amen notice colossians chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and he took it out of the way nailing it to his cross and having spoiled principalities and powers he made a show of them openly triumphing over them oh thank god this morning as gory and as hideous the death of jesus christ was on the cross with all the bloodshed and the open wounds and all that he suffered that he went through let me tell you this morning he nailed our sins to the cross he made an open show of satan and the powers of hell and he he put them to defeat and the bible says here he spoiled the principalities in power and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. When Jesus rolled the stone away and rose again from the dead, he declared to them, I am victorious. And listen, when Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead, he declared victory over sin. He declared victory over death. And praise God, he declared victory over Satan. First John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Revelation twelve eleven. when they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. I'm saying to you this morning, the enemies that you have and I have are the world, the flesh, and the devil. They are a defeated enemy. Jesus defeated them. Just as God opened the Jordan River and they got across dry shod. And the Bible says until everybody got over. I remind you this morning, Christian friend, regardless of the trial and difficulty problem you have, you're, the enemies you have and I have, they are a defeated foe because praise God, we're on the winning side through Jesus Christ today. Don't live in fear. Live in freedom. Don't live in defeat. Live in victory. Stories told several years ago about a man that was a, a writer for a Christian periodical and he, he made his way to one of our great metropolitan areas where they had a, a zoo. And he was there as they, they went to the wild cat display and this particular display where the wild cats were, they, he noticed a, a, a zookeeper that went in there by himself and all he had in his hands was a, was a broom. And what looked like a very ferocious wild cat, and I'm not really sure from the story whether or not it was a lion or leopard or whatever it was, but it was a wild cat. 
And it was kind of just laying down in a corner somewhere. And this zookeeper came in inside that room and inside that cage. And he shut the door behind him. Just one man with a broom. And this writer of this Christian periodical was standing there watching the situation. Thinking, wow, that's he's pretty brave here. And he watches the man went in and he started sweeping up inside the cage and wanted to clean it up before all the crowds started coming to watch what was going on. And as he did so, as he got closer and closer to the animal, he watched this animal as he kind of had his eyes on him. He wondered, I wonder if this animal is going to attack him. And sometimes as the zookeeper was sweeping up inside that cage there, he would poke the animal and the animal would hiss at him and give him a glare and he would keep poking and give him a glare and finally would get up and move to the other side there. And this went on for several minutes until the zookeeper had finished kind of just sweeping up there a little bit. And as he made his way out and he closed the door behind him, he walked outside and this writer of the Christian periodical met the zookeeper and he said, sir, you are one brave man. He says, I I don't get it. He says, you went in there all by yourself. You didn't have another person there to watch for you. You had a broom in your hand and you actually went up to that cat and you hit it in the head and you pushed a little bit. He said, man, you are one brave man. He says, how did you do that? And the zookeeper chuckled and he said, sir, I'm not a brave man. He said, I want you to notice something. He said, come here with me. And he pointed to that cat. He says, you see that cat over there in that corner that I was just in, in the cage with? He said, yeah, that cat has no teeth. He's an old cat and he has no teeth. He can't bother anybody. Don't worry about him. He ain't got no teeth. He ain't going to bother you. Amen. And I remind you this morning, I won't say that Satan doesn't have any teeth, but I will tell you this. He's a defeated foe. And Satan's not going to bother you as long as you realize you're on the winning side through Jesus Christ and you can plead the blood of Christ in your life. And every Christian, you can wake up every morning and pray and ask God to help you put on the whole armor of God, that your loins be girt with truth and the breast plate of righteousness be upon you and your feet shod with the gospel of peace and the helmet of salvation upon your head and if you would the shield of faith in your left hand and the sword of the spirit in your right hand and binding each piece with prayer and supplication of the spirit you can go on into the battle as a soldier in Jesus Christ and win you can realize this morning you can pray the prayer of Romans 16 20 now the God of peace he shall bruise Satan under your feet surely I'm saying this morning we have a conquered enemy to the glory of God Notice number two. You'll go to chapter five with me. We see a conquered enemy. Notice secondly, which very quickly, which you notice a commanded exercise. God told them to park themselves or encamp themselves in chapter four, verse 19 at Gilgal. As I said earlier, Gilgal would be a place of significance. Gilgal would be their base of operations. Gilgal would be the place where the line of communications had to be clear. It was there God would give his communication to Joshua, and Joshua would give the communication to the people. But before they could go to Jericho, which was the goal, before there'd be Jericho and then Ai and all the other Canaanite cities, before there was a Jericho to conquer, there had to be a meeting point between God's people and God at the place of Gilgal. You see, as we study this passage of Scripture, I said one thing in the last two messages. The crossing of the Jordan is not a picture of salvation. The crossing of the Jordan is a picture of our consecration. It's a picture of the fact of how the Christian life is to be lived. Now, how do you get victory in the Christian life? What is the will of God for you in terms of your Christian life? Consecration is talking about the setting apart of your life to God, living the Christian life in victory. And I want to say some things this morning as we're at Gilgal, because in Gilgal was a very, very important stopping point in terms of consecration. You see, you and I are not ready to conquer unless we are ready in consecration. And you, are not, you and I are not ready for Jericho until we are ready for Christ. 
Christ. God would use Jericho, Gilgal, as a place for them to get their, get them ready to conquer Jericho. God had to use Gilgal as a proving point. God had to use Gilgal as a point of time where God had to work in their place, in their lives. Gilgal was not only a place of remembrance, a memorial, Gilgal would be a place of responsibility. Would you notice the importance of Gilgal? Would you notice here at Gilgal, God commands them to do something that would be out of the ordinary, something that would touch their lives, something that would be unforgettable, something that was necessary in order for them to get across. Would you notice these things that happen at Gilgal? Notice in verses 2 through 7, we see a painful requirement. Now, it was here at Gilgal that God comes to, to, to Joshua, and he tells us something very interesting. He says in verses 2 and 3, he says, At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make thee sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Now, the, the matter of circumcision was something that God gave to Abraham way back in Genesis 17. Circumcision was performed on males. Circumcision was something that was a seal of God's covenant to Abraham, going down to Isaac and Jacob. And circumcision was God something that God wanted all the Jewish males to do that, that set them apart from all the pagan nations. Well, now that the children of Israel now, we're fast-forwarding many hundreds of years later, now that they're over here at Jordan, before, uh, they had crossed the Jordan, it had been over 400 years since the, the males had, uh, had, had circumcised their baby boys. And so God is telling them there at this point, you need to stop here, he says, Joshua, and he says, I need you to take some rocks and make some sharp knives there. And he says, what you're going to do, and he calls it the second time, he says, during that time in the wilderness, because the people had unbelief and failed the Lord, all those men who were 21, 20 years of age and older, they died in the wilderness. They died there. And so it was a new generation. Every baby boy that was born inside inside the, that wilderness area, they had not been circumcised. And so God told them, you've got to make these knives a second time. He says, because the, the circumcision is a seal of my covenant, is a symbol of the fact that you're the people of God. He says, you've got to take that and you've got to perform what I call a painful requirement. You had to perform surgery on these young men that had to be there. And so we read verses 2 through 7 and Joshua does exactly what God tells him to do. He makes these sharp knives and he goes out and the men who were born during that time those baby boys who are now men had to go had to be go through this time of circumcision. Now we notice some things about this. What was going on in verses two through seven was a was a was a priority. And we find that when God gave the commandment back in Genesis 17, He commanded them, and this was carried on in Jewish custom, that on the eighth day after a baby boy was born, that would be the day in which he would be circumcised. There are many reasons for that. And if you want some interesting reading, I encourage you to get the book, if you can find it, by S.I. McMillan, entitled None of These Diseases. Great book, uh, written by, by a, a Bible scholar, that would encourage you just understanding some of the... Well, why did God give them some of those things like that? And he, and he discusses why that the eighth day was used. We're not going to get into that discussion this morning. But he talks about it, and he talks about the eighth day that had to be done. So it was a priority. In fact, when God gave it to Abraham, he told Abraham to do that. Abraham did it properly. He did it the very next morning. He and all of it, the males of his household. So circumcision was a priority. Uh, circumcision is painful. Uh, circumcision was personal. No male was excluded. And so we realized that at the stopping point of Gilgal, all the Israelites had to stop there. They could not go forward. There was no Jericho unless they kept the commandment that God gave them here, there in chapter 2. He says, make these sharp knives and again, circumcise. And he told them basically that you, you can't go forward unless this is done. Now, there's a lesson for us in all this. There's a lesson for you and me in this. Notice these lessons if you would, okay? Not the first lesson is, it's, it's a picture of the fact of what we must do with our flesh. Circumcision was a flesh uh, surgery, if you would. And if you would, in, in the Bible, the Bible tells us that when we, when we get saved, it helps us to recognize, as we said earlier, that we have three spiritual enemies. Enemy number one is Satan. 
Enemy number two is the world, the world system. Enemy number three is you and me, ourselves, our flesh, our pride, our arrogance, our conceitedness, our covetousness, our lust. Our flesh is our own worst enemy. Our, our flesh is the enemy. It fights against God and it fights against the things of God. The flesh is your old sinful nature. And the flesh is our heart being filled with wickedness and evil. And so the, the matter of circumcision was a spiritual picture. It was a symbol of the fact that our hearts get hardened and covered up with things that need to get cut away. And we've got to cut out the sin in our life and cut out the things that are causing us hindrance there. And the flesh is our pride, as I said, and that's our stubbornness. It's unrestrained anger and lust and desires. If you read Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 describes to us the lust of the flesh. Your flesh is your desire to fight the will of God. Your flesh is your selfishness fighting with God. I mean, think about this morning. If you were like most people this morning on this beautiful day, as the alarm went off, you probably, like most people, you turned off the alarm and said, I'll wait for the second wake-up call. Amen? And you waited for the second wake-up call. And then the third wake-up call. And then you realize that you didn't listen to any of the wake-up calls, and it's late, and you hurriedly get out your clothes on, and you change faster into your clothes, and Clark Kent turns into Superman, amen? And you got changed really fast, and you brush your teeth while you made your way out the door, and you got in the car, and you just realized you need to get to church, but inside your flesh, your flesh was saying, I sure enjoy being in this warm bed, and I sure enjoy being here anyway, and why can't I have church laying down in bed, and why can't I just think about God while my head's on the pillow? Your flesh is fighting you coming to church, and so we realized this morning, our flesh is what fights us today. Your flesh is what Paul describes when we want to do good, evil is always present with us. And the painful requirement is the Bible says we must mortify our flesh. We must crucify our flesh. We must put to death our flesh. Watch. I'm a pastor. But I struggle with my flesh just like you. I struggle every morning getting up. You think, well, it must be easy for you to pray. Well, it's hard to pray. You pray, no matter how long you pray and when you pray, getting up every day, no matter you got one hour of sleep or eight hours of sleep, it's a chore, it's a struggle to just start to pray. It's a chore, it's a struggle to read your Bible. It's a chore and a struggle to serve the Lord. But you do it because you realize you've got to fight the flesh. You realize that our flesh dwells no good thing. And so we realize we, we have to deal with our flesh and God wants us to deal with our flesh. And notice how the Bible describes it if you look at your scriptures this morning. Notice Romans chapter 6 verses 12 and 13 as it tells us about this painful requirement. It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey in the lust thereof neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members of instrument of righteousness unto God here's what he's telling us our flesh our body has our, our, our flesh has a lot of tendencies to sin we're weak we're given to temptation uh, the Bible tells us in James chapter 1 that every man is tempted out of his own lusts your pressure point and my pressure points are different, but it's still your own lust. You're tempted in different ways. You know, for a lot of us, maybe it's just to pump up our ego. And to some others, it might be in areas of covetousness, whatever it may be. In some areas, may, uh, people may be unrestrained anger. We're fighting with the flesh. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 6. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. The Bible uses a word called mortification. Mortification, as we studied in Colossians 3, 5, speaks about putting to death the flesh, dealing with our flesh right up front. And we've got to realize today, our biggest enemy we deal with every day is me, myself, and I. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty one. He said, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, I die daily. Paul had such a struggle with his flesh. And I think a lot of Paul's struggles may have been with areas of intellectualism. I think it may have been areas of pride. I think it been areas of just, uh, just being a very, very type A and the tendency to complain or maybe getting angry. And he says, you know what? I have to fight with my flesh every day. And he says, I've got to die daily. Now, listen how Paul describes it even further in Galatians 2.20. 
This matter of what we're reading in Joshua 2, I would call the crucifying of our flesh. In Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself every day. And for every one of us this morning, our, our greatest need today is to go through this painful requirement of realizing we must ask God to help us to crucify our flesh, to put to death the flesh with its appetites, with its desires, with its tendencies, with its recurrences of sin. Notice some things, what the Bible teaches us from Genesis 17 and Joshua chapter 5 or about what what the, the meaning that the picture circumcision did. For instance, number one, uh, baby boys had to be circumcised on the eighth day after they're born. You know, that's a great lesson for us because it reminds us the moment you get saved, get started on the right foot. Amen. You get saved. You want to get started on the right foot. You get saved. It's a reminder. Start the Christian life in obedience. I'm thankful this morning that we've had several folks that trusted Christ as their Savior this week as we gave the gospel to them. And uh, one of the first things we tell them after someone trusts Jesus Christ as Savior is that you want to start the Christian life off on the right foot. You want to start it off in obedience. And just as they had to do this on the eighth day for their baby boys, I remind you today, start the Christian life off in obedience. You're saved. You've trusted Christ your Savior. Be like Sister Ortega and Brother Dewey Wynn. Why don't you be like them and follow the Lord in spiritual baptism. Tell the brothers and sisters here at Heritage you're not ashamed of Jesus and you want people to know here at the church that you've got Jesus in your heart. You're not ashamed to tell other people about that. I'm just saying today we need to start the Christian life off in obedience. Notice something else here. Abraham had, had to promptly, had to promptly uh, uh, he had to make sure that next day that he and every male in his household uh, uh, performed this. And it's a reminder today that we must be prompt in having victory over the flesh. This morning, as God's Word is speaking to us, God's going to prick your heart. God's going to speak to you about some area of your life. Maybe God put in your mind, as we talk about sins of the flesh, maybe a sin of the flesh that you're struggling with. And I remind you this morning, as God speaks to your heart, we must be prompt in obeying God. We must immediately be prompt in dealing with it. Don't put it off to another day. Deal with it now. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a name may bring. Notice something else here. Every male had to undergo this, this requirement. There could be no exclusion. It's reminded to us this morning that dealing with the flesh is personal and dealing with the flesh is painful. Watch this morning. Jesus in the Gospels talks about, he uses this, this, he would be talking to people and he would say something like this. He said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. He said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. He said, if your foot offends you, cut it off. Now he wasn't talking about a literal plucking out of your eye or a literal amputation of your foot or a literal amputation of your hand. What he was telling you, help us understand, is that when temptation comes our way, we've got to cut off the source of temptation. We've got to cut off that, that, that channel that's, that's bringing that temptation. We've got to cut off. And listen, I would tell you this morning, for many, many people here in this room and many, many people outside this room, probably the greatest struggles most people have is dealing with social media and the internet. Your accessibility to things, your inability to cut it off, and quite honestly, you know, Facebook is a wonderful tool and social media is a wonderful tool for communicating things. But we can get to this place where we're so overindulging ourselves and wanting people to know about what we're doing and where we've gone and our opinion of this and that. That we get so caught up with that that it's all about us. And honestly, when it's all about us, we are treating ourselves as an idol. And I would just declare today, if we're struggling in that area of, the, of social media and internet, we need to cut it off. Amen. If you're struggling in some area of lust in your life, you need to cut it off. You need to see, you know, just realize I've got to cut that off. It might be you got to cut off the TV. It might mean that you need to cut off with spending your money on things that are, are wasteful. Whatever it may be, we've got to realize today there needs to be a cutting off. It's painful. I mean, you go through withdrawal pains and you realize those are difficult, but there needs to be a cutting off of those things. Notice something else here. God, the Bible tells us here, 
He tells us here in Joshua chapter 5 that this was a new generation of men. A new generation of men who had never gone through this painful requirement. You know that teaches me this morning, teaches you and I today. It teaches us that we must be careful that we don't pass down a faith that doesn't cost us anything. Amen? We must realize today that it costs us to serve Jesus Christ. And it costs us to live for the Lord. Jesus said, if any man not take, if any man take up his, doesn't take up his cross, as Jesus said, he said he's none of his disciple. I mean, it costs us to serve Jesus Christ. And we must realize that the Christianity here in America is not as one that should, that we think of as being very uh, nonchalant and doesn't cost us. It costs us to serve Jesus Christ and it costs us to live for the Lord. And we should know and realize today that we're not intent as we see a lot of young people saved and young people added to the church. We don't want to pass down a faith that doesn't cost us anything. There's something else here. Every man had to make this decision. Every man had to submit themselves to this painful requirement. I'm just saying this morning, there was a painful requirement. You know, it, it hurts to deal with sin and it hurts when we have to confess our sins and it hurts when we realize that God is dealing with our hearts and we have to just realize that that's part of the process of getting victory. And God was telling them here at Gilgal that they had to go through this. They had to do this in order for them to have victory. Many of you might remember the story a few years ago about a, a man by the name of Aaron Ralston. And Aaron Ralston was an outdoors man that loved to hike. And he went out there to the Utah area where, you know, they just said there was a lot of hiking out there. And he's doing some hiking in areas where experienced hikers should be. And he made his way down. As he did, he somehow got his right hand lodged between a, between a rock and an 800-pound boulder. And he got himself so stuck there that he realized he couldn't pull, he couldn't jerk his head. He couldn't do anything. And he, and he tried to wiggle himself free for five days and five nights. And Ralston realized in the heat of the day and the coldness of the night, if he didn't get out of there, he was going to die from the elements. And Aaron Ralston did something I'm not sure I would do. Aaron Ralston did something I'm not sure most of us in this room would do. But just like most survivalists who go camping out, he carried all the essential equipment. And one of those equipments he had was a very large a pocket knife that he had. And he did something that was very, very, I'd say very brave. He used that dull pocket knife and the best he knew how, he amputated that right arm that was lodged there so he could get set free. And amazingly, without that arm, he sutured it. He put a, he put a tourniquet around it to cut off the bleeding as best he could. And he made his way, he repelled his way down from where he was at all the way down to he could find help. And I'm just saying this morning, I'm not telling you you need to cut off your arm, okay? I'm not telling you you need to cut off your head. I'm not telling you you need to cut off your foot. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying there needs to be an amputation. But spiritually, there's some things in our lives we need to spiritually amputate if we're going to get victory for Jesus Christ. It's a life and death situation. We see a painful requirement. But notice the second thing. Go to verse 9. We're talking about this commanded exercise. They couldn't get to Jericho unless verses 2 through 8 had been exercised. But notice something else. We see a providential removal. Would you notice verse 9? And the Lord said to Joshua, this day, would you notice this phrase? I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. God was telling them, on this day, as you fulfill this commandment, I've taken away, I've rolled away, I've removed the bad reputation, the bad name of Egypt over you. Now, what was that bad name? Well, for 400 plus years, they were slaves to Egypt. They've been in bondage to their circumstances. God says, today, you've crossed that Jordan. 
Today, you put those 12 stones up for memorial. Today is a day where now you, you, you've, you've followed my commandment. He says, today I've removed the reproach of Egypt away from you. He says, you are free. You're a redeemed people. They were the people of God. You no longer have the reproach of Egypt that you're slave. I mean, I say this morning, when you and I get, 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 got saved, and you and I got Jesus Christ our heart, God took away the reproach of sin from our lives. He took away the reproach of evil from us. We became the people of God. We received the gift of eternal life. God became our Father. Listen to what the Bible tells us as we think about these beautiful reminders. In Psalms chapter 40, the Bible says this, He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock, and He established my goings. He's put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Here's our circumstance. Before you got saved, we're standing on sinking sand. We're in miry clay. But the moment you got saved, Jesus took us out of the miry clay, and He put our feet on a solid rock. He put joy in our heart where there was sorrow. He gave us forgiveness when we had the penalty of sin on us. He made us sons of God. He gave us a new name. He took away the reproach of Egypt from us. Notice 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Beloved, this morning, you belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to you. We can say today, there's a providential removal. God removed that stigma. And God removed that element. And God remove that thing. Listen, the devil is going to keep coming back in your mind and my mind and saying you're a loser. You can't win. You're no good. You can't do anything. God doesn't want you. God doesn't need you. You're not saved. You have to remind yourself you're on the winning side and remind yourself every day that you know you have this victory which is in Jesus Christ. There was a commanded exercise. They got this place where God made a removal. But notice something else in verse 18. There was a painful requirement. There was a providential renewal, but removal. But notice verse 8. We see a protected rest. This is beautiful. Notice verse 8. And it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people. Notice these next three words. That they abode in their places in the camp till they were made whole. God had to deal with sinful tendencies. Because the flesh is a picture of sin. Our tendency is to succumb to sin. Now they're going through a spiritual healing process. And as they're camping there, the Bible says in verse 8, when they were done, they abode, all those people, in their places in the camp. They abode. And I remind you this morning that the secret to the Christian life, when sin has been dealt with, we need to abide in Jesus Christ. We need to fellowship with the Lord. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. As the same cannot bear fruit without me, neither can ye. It tells how we need to abide in Jesus Christ. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, he says, you shall ask what you want, it shall be done unto you. And we have to remind ourselves this morning as we read John chapter 15, that Jesus is the, is the, is, is the vine dresser and, and God, God is the husband and Jesus is, is, the, is, is the vine. And we are branches off that vine and we need to be vitally connected to him. And the Bible talks about here, they're abiding in Jesus Christ. It's talking about their vital connection to him and their work and just abiding him and drawing from those resources. Look at it again. They bowed in their places 
in the camp. Each man, each family, they found their place and they stayed there and they abode there and they rested there and they got their strength. The Bible says they abode there till they were whole. Listen, God knows it takes time for us to grow and God knows it takes time for us to overcome sin. And many times what we do, we try to rush the process. And I remind you this morning, brother and sister in Christ, God is not in a hurry. God wants to do a great work in us and he spends all of our lifetime working your heart and my heart to perform that work. God is more concerned that you're whole and not that you're partial. God's more concerned that we are abiding in Him and getting fellowship with Him and we're walking in Him. And let God finish what He's doing in your heart before you move forward. You and I, as I said earlier, are not ready to conquer unless we are ready in consecration. And watch what's happening here. God has dealt with them painfully in some area, these areas of their life, but they had to stay there and, and rest. And they were vulnerable during that time. The enemies, the kings of the Amorites and the kings of the Canaanites could have attacked them at that time and the men of Israel could have failed. But that wasn't going to happen because God was giving them a protected rest. And I just want to tell you this morning, as you, as you deal with the challenges of your spiritual life, abide in Jesus Christ, abide in Him and He in you, and realize as you draw from Him and rest in Him, trust God to protect you and trust God to oversee you and trust God to help you along the way. And help God, let God nurture your soul. And just do, do what the Bible says in Psalm 46 verse 10. Be still and know that He's God. So we see this morning today, we see that we have a conquered enemy. And we see this morning that we have a commanded exercise. As we close, notice verses 10 through 12. Notice a considerable edification. Verse 10 tells us they're camping in Gilgal. In verse 10, 11, and 12, God told them to do something that was very important. It was the first day of the Jewish month. When they crossed over, it was the 10th day. On the day we're looking at verse 10, it's the 14th day. That 14th day, the first month of the Jewish calendar, was the time they celebrated the Passover. It had been a long time since they celebrated the Passover. And God told them to keep the Passover. The Passover was a picture of the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. They would take a lamb of the first year and slice the throat of that lamb and catch the blood. As they did so, they would take that blood and they had the tabernacle with them. The high priest would go in and sprinkle the blood on the Holy of Holies there. And as they did so, the sins of the entire nation was atoned for. And that, all of that, the Passover, was a picture of Jesus Christ dying for your sins and mine. Notice verse 10, 10 again. And the Bible says, And the children of Israel camped in Gilgal, and they kept the Passover on the fourth day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And there, at Jer- there, there in Gilgal, in the plains of Jericho, in the midst of where the people of, of Jericho could see them, and perhaps maybe even the kings of the Amorites and kings of the Canaanites could probably see from, from maybe from a hillside. They watch the children of Israel stop and they worship the Lord through the Passover. Number one, I remind you today, as we get ready to go forward for Christ and conquer, let us never forget we are not doing it in our strength, but in the strength of God. Let us never forget that Jesus died for our sins and that He shed His blood for you and I. They were to keep the Passover. And then notice in verse 11, they did something else. The Bible says they brought, they ate of the old corn of the land on the morrow and the unleavened cakes, and then after that, and the parched corn. Now, that, this is all the stuff they brought with them out of, out, of, out, of, uh, out of the wilderness. They had old corn. They had manna from heaven that God still was providing for them six days a week. 
The seventh day, they were not to collect anything. And they took this old corn of the land and they would make, they would take the unleavened cakes and, and the parched corn. And on that day, they were to eat of it. And the Bible tells in verse 12, after that, the manna would cease the next day. They would not have manna anymore because they were going to go into the promised land. And the promised land, God was going to meet all their needs differently. They wouldn't need to depend on manna anymore during the wilderness. And they wouldn't need to worry about the old corn of the land anymore because they would grow their own crops and God would sustain them their land. But here's the, here's the thing I want you to think of this morning. They ate of the old corn of the land. They ate the parched corn. They ate the unleavened cakes. And all of that's a beautiful picture of this. They had to eat of that. They had to get their bodies nourished and strengthened as they were getting healed, as they were getting well, as they were resting. They were trusting the Lord as they were abiding. They were doing all this because the next step after that is that after they were whole and strengthened and built up, they were going to go and conquer Jericho. And here's what I'm saying this morning. The victory we have in the Christian life, we've got to deal with the sin in our life. We've got to deal with our fleshly tendencies. We've got to realize we've got to crucify the flesh. Secondly, we must realize when we do that, we've got to trust the Lord. We've got to abide in the Lord. But to abide in Christ, we've got to take as much of the Lord Jesus Christ as we can. We've got to eat of the old corn of the land and the unleavened cakes and the parched corn of the land. And here's what I'm saying this morning. Before we can go on to victory, before we're going to do something great for God, we've got to get as much of Jesus Christ as we can. We've got to dine on the Lord. We've got to taste and see that the Lord is good. For every Christian here, I encourage you this morning, some of you are new to the faith and some of you are just trying to discover the books of the Bible and trying to understand what's going on. Let me encourage you this morning to do what Peter says, to take of the sincere milk of the Word, the pure milk of the Word of God. Drink the milk of the Word, but don't stay on the milk don't be like a baby that's dependent on by milk. Get to the place where you get to solid food. And you get to the meat of the word so you can discern between good and evil and understand the promises of God. And I realize this morning, we've got to get as much of Jesus Christ as we possibly can. The thought in this is this. They had a considerable edification. God had to build them up physically to get them ready. And God wants to build you and me up spiritually. Listen, summer's starting. We're going to get into a new building. We're going to start seeing new Sunday school growth. We're seeing visitors come in. People are getting saved. There's a a lot of exciting things we're looking forward to for this year. We've got two vacation Bible schools and a number of other things going on this, this summer and this year for the church. And this is the time for you and I to abide in Jesus Christ, to have deep fellowship with Him, and to build up your spiritual life and eat of the old corn of the land and the unleavened cakes and get as much of Jesus Christ as you can. Why don't you make a decision today, student? And why don't you make a decision today, families? Take your vacations and, and go your places and enjoy your summer, but make a determination. This will be the greatest spiritual summer you've ever had. That this summer, you're going to grow in Jesus Christ. This summer, you're going to enroll in discipleship. This summer, you're going to learn how to win souls. This summer, you're going to do something for God. This summer, you're going to take a day off and volunteer to serve God here around the church and find a project to do and do something for the Lord. Why don't you just decide today, you're just going to have a considerable edification. You're going to invest in your spiritual life and build up your spiritual life so that God can greatly use you this morning. Amen? That's what God wants us to do. Get as much of Jesus as you can. Listen, the sun doesn't set to 8.30 at night for the next couple months. Come to Sunday night service and Wednesday night service. So I'll make it late. Better late than never. Amen? Bring your Bible. Get to your adult Bible class, your, uh, your class, and bring a question. Say, teacher, I've got this question. Could you answer this question for me? Invest in your spiritual life. Realize this morning that all of us need to be nurtured in the Lord. The Bible says they bowed there still that day. Find your place where you abide in Christ. You read your Bible. And you pray. You meet with the Lord. I encourage uh, several of our people in recent days that are struggling and just trying to find a time for devotion. I said, when do you get off of work? 
They tell me what time they get off work. I said, well, normally there's somebody here at church sometime, in most cases, 7, 8 o'clock at night. I said, one of us is here. I said, why don't you just, why don't you come right after work and we'll get your room somewhere and why don't you just come for 30 minutes to have your devotion here at church. Amen. Find your place here and find a place to read your Bible and pray and find someone to be an accountability partner. They'll help you pray and read your Bible. I'm just saying this morning, get a considerable edification. Build up your spiritual life in Jesus Christ. As we close this morning, I want to tell you these things and we're done. God led them here. And the next stop is Jericho. They had a test they had to pass. Our students are just coming out of just finals. They had to pass those finals. Some are going through driver's tests. They have to pass those driver's tests. Some are taking uh, immigration tests. They can be naturalized citizens. They've got to pass that test. And Israel had to pass the test. Test number one, they had to pass the test of crossing the Jordan. They needed to acknowledge that God was the one who made a way. Test number two, test number two they had to pass, was coming there to Gilgal. And as they camped there at Gilgal, they had to submit themselves. The men had to submit themselves to a painful requirement. And while they were there, everyone had to abide there and and stay there until all the men were well. And then they would go forward. But while they were doing that, they were eating of the corn of the land. They had to pass the test of Gilgal. The men had to go through a painful requirement. But all the men, women, and children had to eat the old corn of the land. They had to pass the test. And I'm wondering this morning, how many of us are ready now as the summer's getting going, we're going to pass the test of Jordan and pass the test of Gilgal. Stories told of a nurse that was assigned to the surgery department. And many of our nurses work long hours. All our medical professionals work long hours. Sometimes their shifts go to 10 to 12 hours. And this nurse was new to the job and new to this assignment. And it was her very first day in the surgery department, that surgery room. And there she was there, she assisted the surgeon, and she was counting, and she said, she counted, she said to the doctor, the surgeon said, sir, she said, doctor, she said, we had 12 sponges, there's only 11 here, you can't close up the patient till you, till you extract the 12th one. And he said, it's okay, I'm keeping count, we're going we're gonna to close her. And she says, no, you can't do that. She said, doctor, this patient, you can't do that, you put the patient's life at risk. He, she said, you can't close this patient up, there's a 12 sponge, we've got to find that sponge. And he said, suture her up with a very stern voice. She said, no, I will not. She said, I will not suture, we can't suture her up, we're not going to do this until we find this 12 sponge. Immediately as she said that, the surgeon moved his right foot off, and there on the floor was the 12th sponge. He looked and he says, you will do, you've passed the test. I want to say this morning, God wants you and me to pass the test of Jordan and pass the test of Gilgal. I'm wondering today, are you going to be the same way you came in? Or are you going to leave different? Are you going to leave someone that's going to say, you know what, I've got a sin problem I've got to deal with today. I, I feel very weak and deficient in my spiritual life, and I feel like I need to eat of that old corn of the land and the unleavened cakes and get this edifying of my soul. And then there's one other thing as we see today. Number three, Gilgal was a place of reflection. God removed the reproach of Egypt from Israel. As they observed the Passover, they thought during that Passover moment of the great price that was paid for sin. As I close this morning, I'm thinking of a story of a, the wife of a very prominent lawyer, a very well-known lawyer. Many years ago, made tons of money. He was well known for being very victorious in the courtroom. 
His wife had made a trip to Europe, was vacationing with some friends, and she was in France, and she made her way there in France, and she came across what is known as a Gobelin Gobelin tapestry, which if you're not familiar with that, it's basically a very expensive tapestry. And uh, people can afford, they buy it to put on their, to decorate their walls or as a carpet or whatever there. And she found a Gobelin tapestry that was valued at a minimum of $25,000. That's back many years ago. And she, uh, back in those days, they didn't have cell phones. And I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for cell phones, amen. They didn't have cell phones and their way of communication was by cable. You know, not cable TV, amen, okay. But just, you know, by telegraph. And so, um, so she, she sent a telegraph to her husband, should I buy it? She says, $25,000, should I buy it? And her husband cabled back through the telegraph, and this is the message he intended to send her. Listen very carefully. The message he intended to send was, no period, price too high, period. But his wife, when she arrived back in America, she gets off, uh, she greets her husband, and she says, i got to show you something. And immediately she pulls out of a suitcase this goblin, this goblin, uh, goblin uh, uh, tapestry that was valued at 25000 Of course, her husband, even though he made a lot of money, says, wait a minute. You didn't follow my instructions. I told you not to buy that. Didn't you get my message? She said, I did get your message. When she pulled out the cable message she'd received, but the messenger who typed it in, typed it incorrectly. Instead of saying no period, price, uh, the price uh, too high period, it said this, no price too high. No price too high. And I remind you this morning as we close today, watch this, we're done. As they contemplated the Passover, it's a reminder to you me. God the Father, in sending God the Son to die for your sins and mine, He said this, no price is too high for your sins and mine. Jesus died for your sins. He offers you the gift of eternal life. In a moment, we're going to give you an invitation. And through this invitation, invite you to call on the name of the Lord to save you from your sins so you can have the gift of eternal life and know for sure you're going to heaven. Christian friend, have you passed the test? We're at Operation Gilgal. Is there some sin that needs to be dealt with? Some sin that you have to say, I'm crucified with Christ. Is there this need for us just to say this summer, I need to draw close to God and abide with Him as they did and trust God during this time that you'll get replenished in your life and be strengthened your faith? Why don't you make a decision today? This is the day the Lord's made. Make a decision. Draw close to God. Make a decision today. Deal with that sin. Make a decision today to follow the Lord in obedience. Make a decision today, if you're not saved, to get saved. And trust Christ as your personal Savior. Father, today, thank you for how your people have listened very, very carefully to the Word of God. Thank you for the Word of instruction from the Scriptures. Now as we give the invitation, would you please let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly? Every head bowed and every eye closed very quickly this morning. Would you be honest with me for just a moment? How many would say this morning, Pastor Fong, as you start talking about the flesh... And sinful tendencies. God spoke to my heart about a sinful tendency or more that needs to be crucified, that I need victory in. Would you pray for me this morning that God would give me victory over that sin? God bless you. Hands are going up. Who else would say, I need victory over a sinful tendency in my life? Be honest this morning. Be honest this morning. God bless you. Secondly, how many feel like this morning your spiritual life is on empty? It's draining. It's weak. And you need to come to the place of Gilgal and abide there. And eat of the old corn of the land. And eat of the unleavened cakes and the parched corn. You feel like, you know what, this summer I want to replenish my soul. This summer I want to make a growth a growth summer. I want to grow spiritually. You'd say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to grow this summer. I want to abide there at Gilgal where I can find strength for the Lord. You'd say, pray for me this morning. How many would say that today? Amen. God bless you.
Now, who would say this morning, finally, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure if I was to die today, I'm going to heaven. Would you pray for me? I want to get saved today. Anyone like that? I want to be certain that I'm going to heaven. Anyone like that? I want to be certain I'm going to heaven. Anyone like that? You're not sure you're saved, but you want to be certain. Jesus died for your sins. All of us are sinners. Sin must be punished. The punishment for sin is to be sent to hell and to spend eternity there. God doesn't want you to go there. He wants you to get saved. He wants you to realize Jesus died for all your sins and offers to you the gift of eternal life. How many of you say this morning, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I want to know for sure. Would you pray for me? Anybody? You'd raise your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to know for sure I'm going to heaven. Would you pray for me? Now, Father, would you have your way in the invitation that we just be honest and sincere and follow you and let the Lord have his way. So we give the invitation, have your own way, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand, heads bowed and eyes closed. If you need to find your way to the altar, Brother Vaughn sings the invitation. Find your way to the altar today. Deal with some sin issue you need to deal with today. Deal with it promptly. They had to deal with their issue promptly. If you realize this morning that you need to get off to a good start for the summer, why don't you decide today you're going to have a considerable edification. You're going to build up your soul on the Word of God. Would you come this morning? Find an altar worker. Take them by the hand. Say, I need, would you pray for me? You're not saved this morning. Maybe turn to your neighbor next to you and say, would you go with me? I want to learn how to be saved. I want to find out today how I can trust Christ as my personal Savior. Come this morning. Jesus invites you. God loves you. He invites you to come. You come this morning and find the Lord here. Would you do that today? Well, I read the story of Joshua 4 and 5. God loves us. God is patient with us. God has begun a good work. He wants to continue to perform it to the day of Christ. Would you let God do his great work? Would you let God have his way this morning? Come today. Don't delay. Don't put it off. Be different. Be someone who will grow in Christ. Would you do that this morning? Father, thank you this morning for Joshua 4 and 5. Thank you that we have victory in Christ. But before we get to Jericho, there must be a Jordan. There must be a Gilgal. And at Gilgal, we need to pass the test, Lord, of knowing that there, there's some things that need to be dealt with in our lives. And help us today. We'll let you deal with that in our lives. Thank you for decisions that have been made. Thank you today for those where the seed of your word has been sown in their hearts. They might trust Christ as their Savior and, and, and be saved. Now, Father, as we consider these things today, dismiss us with your blessing. Help us to decide as part of our journey to get that corner of the land tonight, to be back in church and be fed in our souls and be built up in the faith. Thank you for your goodness now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to see a Connect video uh, right now so you can get updated on some things happening in the church. We'll see you tonight back at evening service. Brother Vin will lead us in closing prayer. We'll meet you in the back there as you make your way out to shake your hand and greet you for today.